I understand why that person is seeing it in a different way. And I understand the value they bring from that perspective. So we can actually get on the same page in a much faster way versus me judging them from my own motivation perspective, which is what we do. We judge from our own type style. I'm like, why is that person doing that? That's crazy. Then you understand. And now you can work with it. And so that's been really the unlock of collaboration and communication and resolving conflict on a team, but also even for leaders and managing people, once you know your more junior people, what is actually driving them, now you can help describe the work in the way that best suits that driver. Welcome. You are listening to the Hero of the Hour podcast, the show dedicated to empowering you to take financial freedom into your own hands. Through expert interviews with decades of experience, this show will give you not only the tactical strategies of what's working in business, but the appropriate mindsets to master your financial future and build generational wealth. Heroes and entrepreneurs operate with a similar anything is possible mentality. And that is exactly what our show is about. Your host is none other than Mark B. Murphy, CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and best-selling author of three books, all dedicated to helping others plan for generational wealth. He and his team are on a mission to share their knowledge and techniques so that others can enjoy a life of financial security and freedom. Get ready to be inspired to create the life of your dreams. Let's go. Welcome to a new episode of the Hero of the Hour podcast. In today's episode, our host, Mark Murphy, engages in a profound conversation with Susan Drum. Susan isn't your everyday CEO. She's a leadership coach, best-selling author, and a beacon of enlightenment leadership, a unique philosophy that's redefining the paradigm of leadership for a more humanistic future. You see, Susan's own journey to becoming this transformational figure was marked by a bold step away from her corporate career to pursue a master's degree in acting at age 30. These experiences not only shaped her unique approach to leadership, but also prepared her to effectively coach a diverse array of influential figures, from billionaire CEOs and high-profile Fortune 50 executive teams to game-changing entrepreneurs shaking up their respective industries. In this episode, we're going to unpack Susan's concept of heroism. She'll share her personal definition of a hero and reveal who in her life embodies this title. Alongside, Susan will offer a peek into her journey, her evolution into a leadership coach, and her vision for the future. We're also delving deep into how our past experiences, particularly our childhood wounds, mold our present leadership styles. Susan will enlighten us on ways to recognize these wounds, heal them, and consequently transform our leadership and personal lives. She'll draw from the realms of music and neuroscience to share transformative strategies and tips with us. For those of you striving to build and sustain high-performing teams, you're in for a treat. Susan will let us in on her insights into understanding core motivators and reveal her secret sauce for catalyzing exponential growth. Let's dive in. You know, welcome everybody. Um, Mark Murphy, I'm the founder and CEO of Northeast Private Client Group and the author of my third book, The Ultimate Investment. But I am not here to talk about uh, that book today. I've got a very, very special guest. In fact, I even want to put my glasses on for this because I don't want to miss anything 
about it, but I have Susan Drum with us. And uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about uh, a little bit about Susan. She has personally coached billionaire CEOs, high-profile political figures, prominent Fortune 100 executive teams, and incredible entrepreneurs that set out to disrupt the marketplace. Uh, she's a CEO, CEO advisor, a leadership coach, focused on helping leaders and their teams to develop the capacity and mindsets to lead in today's disruptive environment. I'll also, I think we're going to get into all the details. I know she's got her own podcast, so I'm so fortunate to have her on this podcast, but it's ranked in the top 2% of downloads uh, globally. And uh, she is also the author of this fabulous book that I've gotten a chance to read. And I think that uh, anybody who picks up this book will be wiser from reading it. But uh, it's called The Leader's Playlist. And so having said that, uh, Susan Drum, thank you for taking time out of your very, very busy day to join us today. Oh, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here with you. I call this uh, uh, podcast the Hero of the Hour. And I've generally just had people there that are either heroes to me or heroes to other folks, uh, personal heroes. And so I, I just love to always kind of ask people, you know, what do you, what, what is, how do you define a hero and, and who are some of your heroes? Yes, it's such a great question. I, I really find heroism in the ability to speak the truth authentically and vulnerably and also to take courageous action. But I, I feel like there's so much puffery in the world about presenting ourselves in a certain way. You look at social media and we're all trying to, you know, you never, you rarely hear about the struggles people are facing. It's more about like, I'm on vacation here and there, which is fine. And we know what it is. But I would say in general and in interactions, the people that are heroes to me can speak the truth courageously. First of all, they have a different look at the truth. And, you know, an example with that, a more famous example, then I'll tell you a personal example. A famous example would um, be Trevor Noah. I think he yeah. speaks the truth courageously and um, not everybody loves him for it, uh, but that is, that's not his goal. He's being authentic to who he is. And I think that that attracts a different set of people to him as a result. So there's that one piece that's like, and then I say take courageous action. And what I mean by that is heroes to me are connected to a meaningful mission outside themselves, meaning as opposed to filling their own egoic needs of being right, being in control, looking good, um, being included. They, they've done some work to heal that. And what they're committed to is serving in some way, committed to some meaningful mission outside dealing with those. And people that do that, and and my personal hero is my brother. My brother took in my parents and cared for my dad in the later stages of his life, still caring for my mom in the house, uh, he and his wife. And, you know, the the amount of, of service that my brother did to care for my dad at the last stages of life when he was bedridden, probably should have been in a home, but refused. The selfless giving there was extraordinary. And so I find that incredibly courageous, right? And also this ability to commit to a mission outside his own wants and needs, because a lot of that got subjugated. Uh, that, that, having having uh, gone through that recently, last couple of years with my parents, 
it, that's not a fun process. And, you know, he, he put his life on hold uh, for them. And uh, that's a, uh, that's a great yes. brother and a great son. So yeah. And, they, and sister-in-law yeah. who's part of, part of that mix as well. So both of them together, they really uh, have stepped up as well as, you know, I could say my, my sister too, and all these pieces were all supporting our family, but I know caring for my dad was particularly hard when you've got a large man who's bedridden and you have to care for him, you know? You know, the, the, I think people would love to to hear, you know, one, one, uh, I did my a live stream uh, earlier, uh, and you know it was so what I felt so wonderful about was there were there were some very, very successful people on on our live stream, people you have know, been friends we worked with a long time. What I loved about them, you know we were talking just before we went on air, we were talking about vulnerability a little bit. And I'd love to see that you know that that all those people, they didn't have any failures. They had success and they had learning. And they were very vulnerable about you know getting knocked down and getting back up again and getting knocked down again and getting back up until they had this, wonderful success because I think so many people just think, you know, you show up and and you're 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 at the you're at the top of the world day just one. Lucky. Yeah. You're just lucky or they're there. And I don't think people see what's there. So I, I know a little bit about your your history, but I'd love I think people would love to know kind of where you started and where you are right now and, and where you're going. Yes. Well I took me a while to find my way, but since I have, I've been doing this work in leadership development for 20 years. But prior to that, I went to law school at Harvard and did not end up practicing law at much to the chagrin of my parents, right? How could you do that? But I I knew it wasn't the right profession for me, but I didn't know what I was going to do because I had a lot of loan debt. Um, I had loan debt from undergrad and, and grad oh, wow. school. And so from there, but the thing is that each one of these steps, what I've learned after the fact, at the time, it was very disheartening. It was depressing for me. But now, as I look back, each one of the steps in the twists and turns that got me to where I am actually feeds what I do today. And I probably couldn't do what I do today. It wasn't for that. So but what law taught me was this ability to hone the skill of making distinctions. And as opposed to using it for case law, I use that same skill for mindset and making distinctions in mindset and helping people make distinctions. So it was actually a blessing, as was some of other. So I went into consulting at BCG, Boston Consulting Group. Mm. Um, I went to NBC Television in marketing and business development. And they both had times where it's like, I wasn't liking any of it. Like, I, I just felt lost. And here I am, bright, eager. And I felt like the managers I worked with were not very inspiring. They, I didn't want to do this work. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I felt really lost. And um, so at age 30, I took a break. And I had the for- I was fortunate to be able to do that. I had just gotten married, moved to London, and I decided to pursue something at least I felt some passion or connection to, which was acting. And I got a master's from the London Academy of Music and Dramatic Arts. Wow. And it was through doing that that I thought, wow, I'm learning so much that I think business leaders could use around this ability to connect authentically, to deal with the inner critic, that voice inside your head, because as an actor, if you don't get a handle on that, you're going to be worried about what the person in the front row is doing with their self row, right? And that ability to be present, focused, to develop empathy for whatever character you're playing, 
um, or understanding their perspective or taking their perspective for a moment. And all of those skills, I thought there's got to be a way I could bring this back to business. And that's really how I got involved in leadership development uh, 20 over 20 years ago and have stick, stuck with that. So I finally found my calling and have been sticking with it ever since. You, you know, one of the reasons I was very excited to get to develop a relationship with you and get to know you is that I decided about 35 years ago that I wanted to be a hero to entrepreneurs and entrepreneurial thinking people. And when I read your book, it was so clear to me that you had unlocked some of the keys to helping those people create bigger, better futures. And, you know, I mean, even, even things that, you know, that, that if, if I didn't read the book, I would sort of like, Hmm. But then when I made it, read it made like a lot of sense. Like, you know, uh, like one of the concepts you have about feeling, feeling, uh, feeling your way to, to becoming a better leader or, you know, where, or people say, uh, you know, uh, you know, about unleashing the power of music. I mean, I think these are concepts. There's a lot of leadership books out there. There's a lot of leadership strategies, but I think you clearly have not only a unique spin, but an incredibly effective spin on it. I, I'd i love you to share, share some of the, some of how you developed that and some of, some of that for. Yes. Know, yes. Well, to give an overview, the the subtitle of the book, uh, the Leader's Playlist, is how to unleash the power of music and neuroscience to transform your leadership and your life. And I mean it. And a lot of times people are like, music and neuroscience, that's, that's crazy. Well, if you look at my background, you understand how I brought that in. But I offer two bodies of research that I think are really important. The first is looking at how our childhood wounds affect our leadership today. Because if anything I could tell you over 20 years and coaching all these leaders, how they're reacting in the moment has everything to do with the filter that got instituted back when they were children and whatever occurred in their life. And we don't get through childhood without some type of wound. Some have had more trauma. So I talk about a lot of research about how childhood trauma and childhood wounds affects our health, our state of being, our mind, but also our perspective very deeply. And in some ways that can become, um, that is, and that does become a superpower of yours. It's what makes you successful with who you are today. But it also comes with it a liability. And unless you turn and take a look at the liability, which is, I describe in the book, the monster you're actually running from, then it's going to color the results or limit or cap put a ceiling on the results that you can produce over time. And as your business gets more complex, as we're facing more disruption, you come head to head with that thing that you're running from. And what I wanted to provide was a unique way to become aware of that and heal it. And that's where I brought in the power of music. So music, the other second piece of body research is about how music impacts the brain. Music lights up all regions of the brain, and it is so powerful to be able to help you see and create new neural pathways. It's almost like a fertilizer. And so with that, the being able to use music in that capacity can both use it to identify the old neural new old neural pathway that is what I call your eight lane highway to hell that has you, right? The thing that triggers you or gets under your skin that continually shows up in your life, the pattern. Use music to both identify and then use and build a playlist to create a new neural pathway 
that fertilizer to be the type of leader that you actually know you need to be and want to be. That is, uh, I, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. You know, as somebody who, you know, I mean, I, when you deal with people's money, money is never math. It's always psychological. Yes. And, and you know, you're dealing with people's experiences and most of the time that come from childhood that affect them. You know, you, it's hard to be a prophet in your own land, but when you have done it as long as we have, you could step back and you see that so clearly. And oftentimes, they are, they're totally unaware of that as well. There's a, there's absolutely no no awareness yes. of, of of who of who they are, um, or what's the, really driving them. Right? They think, oh, if I get this, right? That's the syndrome of if I get the car, if I get this, or if only I had that. But I look working with billionaires. I've certainly seen uh, there's still a healing that needs to happen. That's truly about you loving yourself and feeling fulfilled. So that you can commit yourself to a meaningful mission. It's clear to me why music. I think you you, you explain that. Just keep keep elaborating on why this yeah. is different than you know. I think I think part of it, like the you know, there's probably a lot of people watching this podcast who are running companies or running family offices or running you know groups of teams, and they're saying we need in 2023 to find somebody or something to give a jump to our organization. We we want to invest in somebody that's going to help our our, our company expand. Give them an idea of other differentiating factors. I don't believe in competition. I believe in differentiation. And yeah. I think your book is a clear differentiator from other leadership books. Tell us more about how you think about that. Tell, tell me tell me a little more about that. Well, sure. It, just in terms of the types of tools that we bring to bear besides using music outside of that, or do you want me to go into more depth about the the impact that using music could have on leadership. I think either. I think either. I think I think yeah. somebody because they're going people that are watching this. They're going to say this is something like I don't think there's going to be very few people who go. I thought that the key to our uh, us getting to the next level of success is going to be music. You know they and they yeah, turn on this sure. and they're going to go. They're not going to go. Oh, we've been looking for somebody to help us with music. You know they're 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 or we're creating a playlist. Yeah, and I think that so so just it doesn't. Yes. I, I think I think give the uh, give the sixth grade version or the eighth grade version, but something right. where people go, hey, I'd like to know more about this because I think it's down downright fascinating. I think it's best for me to describe it in terms of a story of a leader that I've worked with. And in the book, by the way, I go through nine of the most common old playlists, and I use the term playlist both figuratively and literally. And so the figuratively is like, what's that old wound that's been getting in your way that's putting the ceiling on your leadership effectiveness? So I give these nine little vignettes because they're the most common ones that I've seen. But I'm going to tell a story about one of them that is um, a great example. So um, Deborah was a chief marketing officer at a tech company in the Bay Area, and she got some 360 feedback that the way she was engaging with her colleagues was not productive and actually creating more strife within the company. They felt like she she needed to be included in everything and would get upset when she wasn't CC'd on a certain email or didn't wasn't included in a meeting. And from her perspective, it was like, look, I'm the marketing officer. I need to be aware of these things so I can best support and, and fulfill my duties. Sounds reasonable, and I can see her point. On the other hand, what I'm always curious about is what's going on underneath that's actually causing this to show up in her life. Why is this happening? So we take a very different angle. Why are you experiencing this type of feedback? And why is your experience that you are left out of key meetings? 
So what I ask her to say is, what do you, what emotions come up for you when you, when you get the the email you weren't, you find out about the CC email or when you find out about those other um, meetings that you weren't attended to. And she says, I feel frustrated. I feel, you know, angry. And I feel like I'm left out. Like I'm not welcomed essentially. And I said, that's interesting. So where else in your life have you felt that more in recent times? She thought about it and she said, well, you know, I feel that when I'm divorced and my adult children go to my ex-husband's lake house that I used to be part of, right? And I used to go there and they and they share photos and everything. I feel those same emotions come up. Okay, where else in your life? And we go back and we start to see actually a pattern that she'd never noticed before. She felt the same when she was going in through sorority brush and she didn't right. get into her top three choices, right? It goes all the way back to childhood where her sister was sort of the vivacious, pretty blonde, and she felt like she was the mousy, nondescript hair color, shy one that no one would pay attention to. So when neighbors came over, they would all fawn over the older sister and leave her. So she adopted unbewittingly to herself, this sort of belief that she's not welcome. And because she holds that belief, she's literally projecting out a vibration, a frequency, an energy that that is going to show up in her life. And there's a whole series of of pieces where that happens. So how do we use music to deal with that? Well, we use music to first have her catch herself on that pattern to notice how insidious it actually is. She wasn't as aware of it as before. And we used a particular anchor song called, um, was Adele's Hello. And so if you know, it's like, hello, can you hear me? You know, she's like begging for, and with that, she, when she would get the email or, you know, be in the moment, it was a trigger interrupter that she was like, oh, there's Adela again. Okay. I'm just experiencing that same pattern of emotions where I feel left out. So part of that was the the interrupter, but then we needed to create a new playlist that's equally, we build up over time and we build it faster and more efficiently using music um, to identify a new playlist that she titled, I Bring Peace and Appreciation. That was the title of the playlist. And there was all sorts of songs in there that had her feel the emotional state that she wanted to be in. She says, I want to feel gratitude. I want to feel peace. I want to feel like I am uh, welcomed. So the music actually gets her into that emotional state. And her job when we built a plan was to use that music when she's triggered, use that music when she starts her day, and also start to pay attention to places where she was invited. And so examples, you know, she was invited by the neighbor for a glass of wine. She was invited by her kid to the baseball game. And the more she did it, the more she could get herself and and widen the aperture of her experience of life to all the ways in which she was welcomed. Using music, again, to put her in the emotional state, you've got to be in the emotional state to track those experiences in. And ultimately now at work, she, um, she, her nemesis, they have a great relationship Uh, They meet every other week for coffee. She gets cut up, but she doesn't feel the need to be part of that because she's established that relationship. Whereas before she was trying to insert herself too much. And same is true with her family, which is where I really, everything that we do 
to improve work outcomes also translates into family outcomes as well. Have you noticed that life is getting more and more expensive? From grocery prices to real estate values, everywhere you turn, prices seem to be skyrocketing. Well, Mark has dedicated decades of his career and life to serving entrepreneurs and professionals to build real wealth, and in most cases, multi-generational wealth. The reality is, we all have to navigate turbulent times in this economy. But the difference will be for those that have a roadmap and a customized plan for building wealth. That's why, as a listener to this podcast, we are so excited to share with you first access to Mark's newest book, The Ultimate Investment, a roadmap to grow your business and build multi-generational wealth. When you access this book, you'll discover how to know when you're working a job instead of a business. That hard work isn't all about hours put in. This will make you more productive. Why you need to live with your back against a wall. How to surround yourself with the right people who support your vision. And so much more. Go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book to get access now. Once again, go to www.markbmurphy.com forward slash book. And now, back to the show. You know, it seems to me like the, uh, you could see then what you said earlier uh, on was the the fact that, that you know, feeling uh, feeling like less than her sister probably fueled her to her success, but at the same time, it then became a limiting factor yes. to her get to the next. Exactly. And, you're de- and when you're dealing with high performers, that you've got to, you've got to unshackle them so that they can reach their full potential. Right. To keep all the good side that she had, but now leverage in another way because she's not running from something anymore. See, this is what I see a lot of times when leaders start to get successful. They're still running from the monster that they were trying to overcome, but their circumstances have changed. But it's like the brain doesn't No, no, it still looks like this. Right. And, and so what we try to do is use music to be able to shift their state so that they can actually begin to experience some different, get other data points to experience that. I mean, we know, look, we use, we know music shifts our state. That's why we use it to work out with. What I'm suggesting is music can be used far more intentionally and powerfully to even heal old wounds and patterns that are getting in our way. Uh, that makes that does make a lot of sense. But you know, one of the things and and that I've worried about, I you know, was when I first started and I was it was probably a year before I started my company. I worked in another financial services firm, so I was probably twenty in my early twenties. And the women who were in the office that kind of ran the office, uh, the or the staff was probably in their mid fifties or something like that. And they used to say things like sexual harassment will not only be encouraged, it will be judged. And, you know, I mean, it was, that was 37 yeah. years ago, 35 years ago. And I, I find myself now as in that role as trying to, as you build culture and you want people to love coming to work and, and to try to create that an environment where, you know, everybody can get what they want. And, and, you know, I think a part of it is, is just, you've got to have proper team selection. I, I just try to not have people that are looking to be offended in our organization that, you know, wake up every day, finding a place to be offended, but it's very hard. And I think sometimes people don't get the best of you or don't get invited to things because you're afraid that, you know, you're putting yourself or the firm in a litigious situation or something like that. You know, like, a, you know, like you may, you may wind up unintentionally discriminating against people in order to be so politically correct and to try to get the balance where 
and I have another expression that I have, which is, you almost can't say, like I always say, the harder you hug them, the harder you can kick them. Well, we're not kicking anybody or we're not being disrespectful to anybody, but in a way where you can help people grow by having you know New York direct conversations with them in a, in a very loving, thoughtful way, but to say, hey, we can do better here or you can do better, especially working with a lot of young people. It's very, it's very difficult to navigate it in this kind of society. Tell us a little bit about that. How do you coach teams or how do you, you know, how, yeah. do, you build, how do you build and maintain these high performance teams? Yes, that is, that is especially what we do, right? Mm. That's what I've been doing all this yeah. time. And we use a process that helps people understand their core motivator or driver. I think as human beings, we think we can, we're chameleons and can see 360 degrees, but we can't, we have a central vision and we have a peripheral vision and where we put our focus of attention, what we're motivated by, that's what we see, but there's something behind our head that we can't see. So we use an assessment tool called the Enneagram that helps identify the way we've applied it is your leadership style. So what is your specific leadership style? And I'm talking about everyone on the team and anyone can be a leader, right? It's sort of, what is your focus of attention? Where does your attention go? And um, have people first understand their own, what drives them, where they're motivated. It's very different than other assessments that look at behavior. It's like, what's driving you? What's motivating you? And based on that, they start to build the awareness that they have this blind spot. When you bring them, the team together to take a look at and learn from each other, it really turns conflict on its head in building high-performing teams, because now I can understand why you say this is blue and why if there's someone else in the model, it's a circle, like if there's a model, there's someone actually looking the other direction. And usually those are the very, your growth paths, because it tells you not only what your direction of growth is, what you need to be working on based on that focus of attention, but who can best support that growth on the team. And I think it brings this connectivity and collaboration in a way that an authenticity and vulnerability that makes teams stick and turns conflict really on its head. Because now I understand why that person is seeing it in a different way. And I understand the value they bring from that perspective. So we can actually get on the same page in a much faster way versus me judging them from my own motivation perspective, which is what we do. We judge from our own type style. I'm like, why is that person doing that? That's crazy. Then you understand, and now you can work with it. And so that's been really the unlock of collaboration and communication and resolving conflict on a team, but also even for leaders and managing people. Once you know your more junior people, what is actually driving them? Now you can help describe the work in the way that best suits that driver. Something else, as I was reading your book, some other things that sort of popped in my head and with our discussion is when you have leaders in, you know, you're dealing generally with senior leaders and, and owners of companies or how accurate do you think they really are in terms of assessing how other people see them and their own leadership? Well, not totally accurate, I would say. Mm. It depends on how much work they've done, self-development work, right? Right. Um how often are they asking for feedback along the way from others? We do a 360 process, which will show them exactly what that gap is. 
where they will assess themselves against the same criteria on leadership that others will assess them on as well, whether it's peers, their board, you know, direct reports, other categories, and they can actually see numerically where is the biggest gap in their own self-perception versus actual leadership. But I really would say it varies based on the level of growth the leader's been through and how often they're regularly getting feedback from those around them already. One of the theories I have is you, you'll go and speak with, you know, you and I will get to speak in front of groups of business owners or business leaders, and you'll have a conversation with a group of, let's call it entrepreneurial people. And you'll say to them, how many people in the room are entrepreneurs? And, and their hands go up. And, and you, in about 30 seconds, you get to realize that they're not entrepreneurs. They bought themselves a job. Uh, they're not even business owners. You know, they've they've maybe it's a good paying job. It may, they make make a lot of money, or maybe make a, a, a decent amount of money. But they, they they've bought themselves a job rather than being entrepreneurs. And I think that the common denominator that I see around leadership is that most of those folks, because that's what they teach you in business school, that's what they teach you in other places. They teach you that if I just make get my product cheaper, or we provide the best level of service. Or we, you know, da 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 da, you know, the kind of like blocking and tackling, and I think that they lose the concept that we're not really when you're not really growing a business, we're growing people, and that you know, good leaders create followers, and great leaders create other great leaders, and if they can, if they can, the better leader they can become, and the better culture they can build in their organization, that's the magic elixir for exponential growth, and so kind of leadership, like like I think that so many folks don't are not even aware of it or don't get it. It's sort of like a consultant buzzword or you yeah. know, and, and they and but they don't realize why they're not having the success that they could. Exactly. And you know, is that is that how you see it? Absolutely. Mm. I mean that's what I see. Like people will come, yeah. like you know, that leader example that I gave you, she came to me and said, how can I be more influential and persuasive to the people that I need to convince that I need to be part of these meetings? Like if only they would change, right? <laughs> And, and I get that. That's where we go first, right? We want to control our external environment, but I promise you that you must deal with your internal environment first, because that is driving everything that you pay attention to versus not pay attention to. And the reality is, as human beings, we do not pay attention to 100% of the data that's presented to us. We selectively choose what to pay attention to. You know, I would... Uh... You know, the, I I always say, like, if I would, I'm, I and I'm going to do this is I'm going to introduce you to some folks I think that can benefit from the the work that you do, and to some of our clients. And um, you know, I would say to them this: I'm, I would say this as I've as I've done with uh, you know throughout my career. I'd say this is going to work 100 percent of the time with two caveats. Number one, the reason it wouldn't work, won't work is because you say I'm fine as the leader. You got to fix my dysfunctional team. Oh, it's yes. not me. Or the second is you let the inmates run the asylum. You go, hey, you know what? They're gonna we're gonna bring Susan in, but we're gonna wait them out, and hopefully she'll go away in six months, and we won't have to do anything that Susan's gonna tell us <laughs> right. to do. Like, well, oh, you know, it's too hard. It's too this. You know, it's you know doesn't fit in our schedule. But short of those two things, if you trust the process, it's gonna you're gonna help transform your organization. Those are the two that I see most commonly of why of the only reason why the work that you do would not turbocharge an organization. Are there others that I'm missing or others? I think it's just a flavor of what you've already identified as the first mm. one, which is no matter who we're working with, if there's sort of this belief that, um, you know, I don't have things to work on, it's everyone else. We're all a work in progress. 
I continue to work with coaches and I need to be several steps ahead of where my clients are in order to be able to be of value. So I think it's a lifelong journey of growth and development. And really the best leaders are on that path, which is why, um, so the podcast that you mentioned that I have is called The Enlightened Executive. And we really wanted to highlight leaders who have walked a growth journey. What have they done, executives and entrepreneurs, to be able to make that that pass, right? That transformation. You know, one of the things I would love to for people, first of all, the my first recommendation, anybody watching this, is is I I want everybody to do what I did is and just go buy a copy of the leaders playlist. I think uh, it's a great read and there's nobody that can't benefit from from reading this book. And so I'd love I'd love everybody I know to to go buy a copy. And in fact, if you got an organization, buy a hundred copies. The thing that I love about your program is there's lots of ways to enter your world at not only at different commitment levels of time, but commitment levels of price and other things. So that and depending on your organization and how it fits, you know, you do every I know I know you do a lot of speaking, uh, you know, keynote speaking around the country. But you've got master classes, you've got masterminds, you've got other programs. I would, if somebody was watching this, they say, "I'd love to talk to Susan." Yeah, we'll give them a website, or we'll give them a you know place yeah. to contact. But we'll I'd be happy, happy to you can give that at any time. But just tell them about kind of the different ways that you know because sometimes I think people, you know, when it's such a big commitment, not only of money but also sometimes of time, it scares people off. And sure. I love the fact that there's different ways, there's yeah. different strokes for different folks. Tell us about how you designed your organization. Yes. Um, I would say the easiest thing is to go to susandrum.com and take the free quiz that we have on there on latent leadership. And it's going to, it's very simple, seven questions. It's going to suggest places where you may have your superpower and also the liability that I talked about. And I say suggest because obviously in a seven question quiz, it's, but it's a door opener for you to start to think, huh, what resonates here with me and what I hope it does is spark the desire to delve deeper. And then we'll we'll tell you what that relates to, what chapter in the book that that relates to so that you can delve deeper. And then we wanted to give people a real coaching experience of building their own playlists, determining what that old playlist is and how to create the new one. So that's why I, I um, built the masterclass where people can go in and take this online course and go through the process. They get a workbook, they get the examples, and they can uncover for themselves what is that ceiling that's getting in the way. I I, I, I would encourage everybody to do it. And the, 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 the website address is, or how do they get it? It's Susan so Drum. SusanDrum.com, S-U-S-A-N-D-R-U-M-M. So Drum with, with two, two double M's. M. Double M. Double M's. Yeah. My name is Drum and I write a book about leadership and music. So <laughs> there's no coincidences, I guess. <laughs> I think that's, you. Know, the, the, by the way, do you still do any acting? I don't. I don't. I think to me, that wasn't the highest calling of service that I could pr- be providing. Um, what I do now and the way it's transforming people's lives, that that's far more meaningful for me. You know, I, I've got I have a finance background, economics background, account, you know, accounting uh, uh, somewhat, and so. But the thing is, I always wonder if I look back, is would I've been better with those those classes as I have, you know, five kids that are, you know, one's out of college, uh, you know, two are in college, two are in high school, and yeah, I wonder, you know, would we be better off with psychology, philosophy, you know, music, other things that would better prepare you for life than knowing. Uh, a lot about finance or accounting. 
you know, um, yes. you know, meaning I, I think that that in, in in the real world, I think that the thing that's also missing is, and it depends. I mean, there's some technology industries that you know, yeah. it's just on your phone or not. But I think for most of the world, if your customers, patients, or clients are people, and the people you're still working with are people, you know, I always say we're not in the financial services business; we're in the people business. You know, yeah. people, and and I and I Love think that. that that folks in our, you know, you know, folks so much, almost especially younger people, want to you know, want to move away from that and have the least amount of humor interaction possible. And I I think the thing that it also does, it makes it for a much less unkind world. Because, you know, if I was sitting across the table from you, nobody ever says anything unkind. On on Zoom, I'm looking at you. It's a possibility somebody could, you could say something unkind to me. With people on social media or on Twitter or on email or text, I mean, it's, I mean, it's humiliating how the unkindness to other people because you don't have to really deal with them. You know, yeah. that, you know that's a problem, I think, in our, in our government. Of your, you know, of your, everybody in Washington was friends. You know, when people had to be in Washington and, and there weren't inter, you know, the amount of flights, everybody in Washington, Democrats and Republicans, their kids grew up together. They were, they were at Little League games together. They went to dinner together. They were friends. It was hard to say horrible things and do horrible things to each other because we were really in a relationship and it together. Now it's like two warring tribes. And I, I, I don't see how, I just think that the work that you're doing will allow that transformation, allow transformation so we can build a better society and a better world and more productive world. And you know, all I can tell you is that I am uh, I, I know I know your schedule. I know how busy you are. And I just wanted to thank you so much for taking time to spend a few mo- a little bit of time with us today. And uh, you know, I, I, I just uh, as again, I just want to show this book again. And I just want you know, I just like everybody to uh, either reach out to Susan on our website or to buy this book. And um, because it, it's really special and she's very special. And just thank you for thank you for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for creating the platform to have this conversation. I'm grateful to be on here to talk with you about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Susan Drum. I hope you enjoyed the episode today on the Hero of the Hour podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you are listening to this on. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share the podcast episode with them. You can catch the show notes for this episode and more at www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. Be sure to check out the other great books and resources on the website while you're there. Once again, it's www.markbmurphy.com forward slash podcast. All links can be found in the description below. We look forward to serving you on the next episode. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by PAS or Guardian, and opinions stated are their own. Registered Representative and Financial Advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PAS. OSJ, 200 Broad Hollow Road, Suite 405, Melville, New York, 11747, 631-589-5400. Securities products and advisory services offered through PAS, member FINRA, SIPC financial representative of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. PAS is a wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Northeast Private Client Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of PAS or Guardian. California Insurance License Number 0B36048. Arkansas Insurance License Number 741545. Expiration and submission numbers located in the show notes.